Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes 2, we'll start around verse 12. Um, so far in chapter 1, in the portion of chapter 2 we've been through, he's pursued um, wisdom, learning, he's pursued uh, entertainment. So he's gone from you know, the, the weightier things of knowledge, and he's gone after the more trivial things of folly and foolishness and hobbies. He's, he's looked at all those. And he concludes, especially this last part, as he's looked at uh, pursuing entertainment. Uh, verse 11, he says, Then I looked on all the works of my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I had labored to do. And behold, it was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. He's like, it, it just seems like a waste of time. It's vexation. Uh, it's kind of confusing. It's, it's, there's no profit in it. And that means that there is no profit without God in it. There's no profit if you don't think of things in eternity. That's why he uses the term under the sun. If he has limited himself to being just under the sun, any of these endeavors are, are, are worthless. If you do them with you know, eternity in mind and with God in mind, everything can be claimed for Christ. And that's what the encouraging thing for a Christian. You know, if your hobby's, your hobby's making models, you can do that to the glory of the Lord. And he'll do it if your hobby's playing guitar. We know we can use that for the glory of the Lord. If your hobby's websites, doing you know, audio, recording things, various things. You know, we can take any and everything that we do, if we turn it to the Lord, he honors it. It's the key to life in this way. It's the key to have things that make matter. It's the key to have purpose to it and not feel like it's just futile. You know, but no, if we do it for him, it counts. And that changes everything. And that's Solomon's conclusion. That's why we're memorizing the end of the book as we study the beginning. And so he studied these things. He studied wisdom and knowledge, and he studied foolishness or you know, entertainment in that way, pleasures. And he's like, I need to change direction again. And he starts that with verse 12. He starts out with, I turned myself. He's changing direction. So verse 12. And I turned myself to behold wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which has already been done? So he turns himself, he changes direction, he thinks again. And here he overviews what he's already done again. He says, I'm going to think about the wisdom that I pursued that we talked about in chapter 1. I'm going to talk about the madness or the folly or the, the, the fun times, or the fun things that I, that I talked about in chapter 2. And he thinks, if I can't figure it out, and God's endowed me with a special gift of wisdom, and he has unlimited resources and that he's king and he has power and he has all that, he's like, if I can't solve life's riddles, if I can't come to a conclusion on this, what will the world be like after I'm gone? You know, what will they be left with? What will the next generation do? Verse 12b, the very end of the verse, he says, For what can the man do that cometh after the king, even that which has already been done? He says, they're going to do the same old thing. They're going to be in the same rut. They're going to have the same conclusion. If I can't crack it as a God-endowed, with God-endowed wisdom, I don't think anybody after me is going to be able to, to crack it and have answers either. And so he feels like, I felt like he feels like the pressure's on. You know, I, I've got to do this. I'm the man for this time, for such a time as this, to answer these questions. So he contemplates more. He sits and thinks. Um, that's a good thing to do. Sit and think. Einstein, Albert Einstein, not Alfred Einstein, that was his brother, Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein, he, he did what was called um, mind experiments. He would go sit in a chair and then he would do these experiments in his mind. You know, these experiments in his mind. Well, if I took this and I did that, and I, he'd run these formulas, and he would think out all these things of eternity. He would just go into the lab of his mind, and not like he went on a chalkboard or sat over. He had a chair that he sat in, and uh, he kind of like, well, at least in the modern day, you know, kind of 
came up with this thing. I'm just going to sit and think deeply on this, go deep into my mind, take everything that I know, and then try to work out these equations, work out these problems. Solomon had already done it. Nothing new under the sun. He had already sat and contemplated deep and weighty things. And so he sat and he imagined, you know, a lab in his mind. Here Solomon is thinking about what he's pursued with wisdom. And he's thinking about what he's pursued with entertainment and pleasures in that way, the folly in that way. And so Solomon's doing that. He's like, what have I studied? I've studied wisdom and knowledge, entertainment and pleasure, folly and fun. And as he thinks, he's like, he starts to weigh the two out. So I kind of imagine, at least if I was Solomon in doing this, that he'd, he would probably imagine a scale over here, and he would put you know, the wisdom and knowledge side on one scale and the fun and for, for, fun stuff on the other, <laughs> for frivolity, that's the word I was looking for, on the other scale, and he would start stacking them up and see how they're going to weigh out. Well, even we use the terms that kind of help you know, divide this. If you talk about studying things and looking into uh, wisdom, we, we call them the weightier things. We say, well, that, wow, that's heavy, man. You know, if you start talking about some deep subject and all this, we already say it already has some weight to it. You know, that, that's hard. That's deep. That's weighty subjects. We say that. Well, on the other hand, if we look at pleasures, we kind of use the terms of weight within, too. We talk, well, that's light. That's airy. There's not much to that. You know, it's, it, it's wistful. It, so it, it's not hard to put it in a scale and, and sit there and think about it. Which one's going to weigh more? Which one's going to seem like it has more weight to it? The heavier things, wisdom, and knowledge is going to win out of, out of frivolity and, and fun. And so as he, as he does it, it's, it's hands down. Wisdom wins. The scale's on the bottom. The fun and light things are in the air. It seems like the, the wisdom and knowledge is clearly between the two, the more that should be pursued. And, and so that's just even us thinking here just for a minute, it becomes obvious that that's how that would win. He comes to that same conclusion, verse 13. Then I saw that wisdom excelleth folly as far as light excelleth darkness. He's like, he, came, you know, he just said it more flowery. <laughs> wisdom wins. Wisdom is the heavier thing. It far exceeds folly. It, it is the better thing to pursue than just doing nothing you know, and having fun. He says wisdom and knowledge, it, it, it does win. He says it's like comparing light and darkness. You know, one you can see and examine. We can look and see and examine now. The other is limited. If it's darkness, you can, you're limited to what you remembered being in the room or what you can touch, or what you can feel with your feet. You know, it, it's, darkness slows you down. I don't know about you, you know, but I hate it when it's like those dark, dark nights when it's just a little bit rainy, and it seems like it really comes in, and you can't see the edge of the road, and you're like, it just seems like an oppressive darkness. You know, versus when it's daylight, and you can see, and you can drive, and you can look. I like coming down 252, and this morning I didn't even bother looking. I knew the cloud cover, but when it's a clear day, you can see downtown Indianapolis from the hill just outside the water tower there. You can see the downtown building. Sometimes if there's something going on, you can see all the lights and all you can see. It's, it's nice to be able to see that far up. I had a friend in high school who climbed the Channel 4 Tower. Not supposed to, um, but he did, and he's like, man, you could see the pyramids. Not the Egyptian pyramids, but the pyramids on the north side of Indianapolis. Goes, you can see them. You can see way up there from that vantage point. It was clear, and you could see... And so just from the hill, you can see downtown, you know, so to be able to look and see because it's daylight and it's clear and if there's no humidity, you can see farther. And, you know, I, I about comment on every time we go by. And so you can really see farther in the light. You know, darkness is limiting. And so he's like, you know, light is way better than the dark and wisdom is way better. It's like light and darkness comparing wisdom uh, to pleasure. So verse 14, he says, he's going to give us a term that teachers use. Or maybe the rants of a frustrated parent. Uh, I don't know 
How much my, my teacher would say every once in a while, I'm, I'm mostly thinking of my parents saying it. Use your brain, Brian. <laughs> it's like, so I get that. Use your eyes, or can't you see? You know, you, they, they would tell, you, tell me to use what I've been given. You know, you know, take in what you got. Um, you know, and then in school, I can remember we take, and I, and I think I've heard of Megan teaching the kids this, you know, the same way, like smell and taste, you know, those sensories that, that we can take in, you know, oh, touch. Uh, we played the game. I know with the kids, we did a game. Um, Megan and Levi are born in the fall, and so we usually have a harvest, uh, you know, kind of fall theme party. I remember one we were doing that was like a camping theme night, and this was back when, I think it was Fear Factor, it was a big deal, and so we made them eat sardines, nasty camp food, or anything that you'd get in that way. And then we had a game where it was like any camping experience we've had. Uh, oh, I put something in the tent, now I can't find it. And you're sticking, you're trying to find it in the corners and it's full of leaves and everything else. And so we put glasses in there, your pocket knife in there. And so they'd stick their hand in the bag and they'd have to dig through all the leaves with sticks and everything else. And we'd say, you need to find a pocket knife. And so they're just limited to the sense of touch, pulling in and out. And it was funny to see what the kids would pull out, you know, doing that. You know, but so just using your touch, you know, it limits it, but you'll be able to find and, and feel and grab these things and smell, you know, smelling things and examining what it is. You know, we usually do that, you know, when, I watch it when we bring food to the church, you know, you can get a big forkful and you smell it before you eat it, you know, and you take it in that way. You look at it, you know, you're using your brain, you're using your ears, you're using all your senses. We're supposed to. We use all these things to perceive. It's what God's given us. And we are to use it to test all. Verse 14, he says that. The wise man's eyes are in his head. That's the same phrase. You know, use your eyes. Use your senses. Use it in that way. You know, you're supposed to be learning, testing, and discovering. You can see so much in the light. There's so much more opportunity to learn when you can see the world and you look at the world and you see what is all out there. You can study it. And when you stop and you think about all the things in the world, you're like, man, all the fields of study. It always kind of surprises me. You know, when you think about uh, all the different things that people study that they dedicate their life to, you know, um, we met a man, a man in IU whose name was Nelson who just studied rocks. And he would get called out as uh, Indiana Department of Transportation and everything would be digging roads or anything. If they unearthed a rock, they didn't know what it was or what's the ground and soil type like, they'd call him in and he had cool crystals in his lab and he had all these neat things, meteorite, and all these different things because he gets called in for that. He just studied rocks. You know, you have somebody else that would study the dirt. You have somebody else who studies trees and somebody else. We have all these different fields of study. Then when you get into medicine, you know, it's not just well, they study the body, general practice, but you have them that, you know, just you know, between your eyes, your ears, your, your nose and throat, you have Foot doctor, you know, it's all gets specified, specific fields. There's so much. And within that, you know, you either got cellular biology, they all study, let alone with all the different trades that you and I have that are in this room. It's so diverse, so many different fields. And you spend a lifetime studying those. So diverse, so much to learn, so much to, to, to teach. And then there's the fool. In verse 14 again, he says, The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walk, walketh in darkness. There's the fool. Fool walks in darkness. You come up to the fool, you're like, what's going on? Yo, man, just copping a squat, watching the tube. You're not doing much, you're just sitting on the couch, you're just sitting there doing nothing. You know, it's like, I think of people I know that do that, and they spend their whole day doing that. Well, I think about maybe go dancing, drinking tonight, and, you know, party on, Wayne, party on, Garth. You know, you don't think of them as being deep intellectuals. You know, you think of them being, what a waste. You know, they're just seeking pleasure, not doing nothing, not contemplating deep things. It's my shoe, you know, banging their shoe on their head, doing nothing. You know, it's just, what a waste. Airheads, we use that term, right? What an airhead. You know, they're not thinking about anything going on. They're not contemplating great and deeply things. 
stoners, we call them, <laughs> they waste themselves in that way. Just wasters of time. No pursuits. Like, come on, pursue something. You'll have an interest. You'll have a hobby. Do something. You know, just seek to please the flesh. What does good for them? Sleep in late, get up late, you know, don't do anything. Just do whatever they feel like doing. Not much going on. Solomon has a term for him. But the fool walks in darkness. He says, so I consider the person in wisdom who's using these eyes and using these ears, you know, taking and examining things with his senses, you know, and really looking at it all and, and being captivated by it. And there's the fool that walks by and never considers anything. He's in like he's, it's like he's in darkness. He doesn't see anything. I'm just walking through life, not perceiving anything. We're supposed to have our eyes open and, and looking and, and, and taking everything in. But he finishes the verse. He's, verse 14 again. He says, the wise man's eyes are in his head. But the fool walks in darkness. It's like he forgets to put his eyes in and everything looks and sees. He goes, and I myself perceived also that one event happened to them all. Happened to them all. So Solomon thought, and then his thought experiment as he sat in his sofa in the corner of his room, and he's playing out the lives in their mind. He's thinking of the life of the wise man. He's watching him study, and he's watching him walk down the road and saying, ooh, an ant, an anthill. And what's in the road? It's an anthill. What's the ant doing? And he gets the one, the bird. The bird is feeding it, and he starts thinking about all the different ecologies and the things that are going on, all these things that he perceives around him. We know he studied the tree on the side of the wall and the great trees, and he, he talked about shipbuilding and mines, and he, he's, he's already he's pursuing all these different things, and he's like curious about them all, and he sees the other guy just walking along, not seeing nothing, you know, not taking anything in. And he plays their lives out. And he watches them live out their life in his mind. One's complex. One's always curious. One's always studying something more, learning something more, asking questions. One's pretty dull, you know, and just goes on and does whatever it feels like doing. You know, it's just pretty simple. And he speeds up the timeline. And he watches them and he plays them out to the end. The wiser, the lazier. They get older, they get older. They might get slower. But they both reach the same place. And I can answer, answer Solomon's riddle here. What, what place do they both come to, the wise and, and the simple? Death. They come to the same thing. They come to the grave. Verse 14, again, he says, The, the wise man's eyes are in his head, that the fool walketh in darkness. And I myself perceived also that the one event happeneth to them all. One event. Death. Comes to them both. What's it leave you with? He goes, I look at both of their lives and I played out the wise life with everything that he's examined. I played out the fool's life or the simple's life with not much and it leaves you with two graves, two tombstones. They both have a beginning date and an end date. There's a little dash in the middle and one might have had a lot of curious things happen in that dash in the middle and one might have had nothing but the dash might be the, the most exciting thing that happened in their life is that they had a beginning and an end. The same result. The same result. Verse 15, he says, Then I said in my heart, As it happeneth to the fool, so it happened even to me. Happeneth even to me. And why was I then the more wise? What benefit is it to be wise then? He said, Then I said in my heart, and This is also vanity. For there is no remembrance of the wise more than of the fool forever, seeing that which is now in the days to come shall all be forgotten. And how dieth the wise man as the fool? Therefore I hated life, because the work that is wrought under the sun is grievous unto me, for all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He said, put little effort into life, you die. Put great effort into life. Spend your whole life studying, trying to be wise, you die. All the effort and learning 
that man can do in this world, and you die. You know, there's, there's no answers. There's no, no satisfaction in it. Because they're ignoring eternity. They're ignoring God. If they ignore that, that, that's what they're going to end up with. They're going to end up with the same result that Solomon's ended up with. They're going to die. All the work that he does is for nothing for them. You can study you know, all kinds of things. And we live in a society that has, you know, they'll do a study and they'll be like, oh, you know, you can, a wine a day will make you live forever. Too much wine is going to kill you earlier. You know, if you drink too much Coke, you're going to die. Or if you drink one Coke a day, you're probably going to live more. If you have too much salt in your diet, that's bad for you. You know, you need to have some salt in your diet. It seems like the study's going, you need to avoid fat. No, you need fat. You need to avoid carbs. You need carbs. It seems like there's one study every year that says contradict each other all the time. Uh, one day it'll kill you. The next day it's the best thing you can ever have. You know, it just seems like it goes on that way. Exercising. You know, exercise, exercise, exercise. We saw a commercial the other day. They had a guy out and he goes, I just had a heart attack. It was one of the coaches off, um, what was it called? Grace Lutheran. Grace Lutheran. I'm like, wow. You know, it's like, you know, this guy's healthy and exercises all the time, still come. I remember Jim Fix, you know, this, for those of us from the 70s, he was a big proponent of jogging and running. He died jogging and running. It's like, you know, it's like, this seems like you could pour your life into something and death still comes, you know. Uh, on average, it doesn't make that great a difference, you know, if you avoid one thing or another, you know, but you're supposed to be careful, and you're not supposed to smoke, and you're not supposed to run, you're not supposed to do all these things. You know, you could have a healthier lifestyle and a better quality of life, but death's still waiting at the end. Um, and I, I was thinking about all the leftist professors and scientists that are out there, smart men. They all die, you know. Sometimes their whole life's work that they can pour their whole life into to study and and, and, and pour it in and they get this great thesis that they fought for. The next generation comes along and disproves it all and finds it was nothing. So here this man poured his whole life into some field of study to only have it disproved. And a lot of times they'll try to, they even brag about that. You know, somebody can come along later and disprove it. Like, what a waste. What an empty amount of time to have just to have it be tossed away. All it does is nothing, you know. You might be able to live a little longer if you applied a lot of knowledge, but what's that? What's 10 years? If you had 10 years to your life and you die and you go to hell, in, in light of eternity, it's not even a second. You know, it didn't really count for anything. Jesus used the word. He says, what is a profit of man if he gains the whole world? And yet he loses his soul. So what if a profit of you if you lived for 200 years and you die? It's not going to compel in comparison to eternity. You know, and yet we have science pursuing all that, trying to live longer, trying to download your brain, trying to build the bionic part, do all these, trying all these things to, to do that. And yet, if you don't have eternity in mind, if you don't have God in mind, it's useless. You know, better quality of life while you're here, maybe, but it doesn't really count. That these same men and women, these smart people, that they argue against God. Most of the major scientists, they all argue against God. I argue against eternity. It's like why they mock it. To put it in Solomon's terms, they want to just limit themselves to only studying things under the sun. Like that's all there is. What I can see and feel here now is all there is. They don't want to consider anything else. They just want to look to man for help. Well, here's the answer. Man can't help. Man has no help for you. God is the answer. Eternity is the answer. We, he's put eternity in us. We're going to get to that later in Ecclesiastes. We want to live forever. And the only way we can live forever is with God. You know, is, is to have that. You know, but man can't find the answers. We still have the desire to live, and we want to live, and we can even live a healthy life, but you get the same result. You die. Carl Sagan was a smart man. Charles Darwin, I say he was a smart man. I don't think he had very good conclusions. Einstein, smart man. They're all dead. 
You know, all their genius for everything they poured into it did them no good. Neil deGrasse Tyson, Bill Nye the Science Guy, Bill, Bill. You got Richard Dawkins, Stephen Hawking, all these guys. They're smart people. They say they're smart, write books, and they get a lot of followings doing that. They attack God. They laugh at eternity. They cause men to doubt God. They are stumbling block to Christianity, trying to say, limit things to things under the sun. We can have, and, and they're very hopeless, and they'll even acknowledge that they are very hopeless in what they're doing. But look at what God says about them, what Christ says. Look at Luke 17. Luke 17, chapter, or Luke 7, chapter 17, verse 1. And that's why Solomon, we get to the end, we know where he's saying that, yes, these things are futile without eternity in mind, without God in mind. Jesus has a more somber warning. Luke 17, verse 1, he says, Then he said to his disciples, It is impossible, but the offenses will come. But woe unto them through whom they come. He says, well, You're going to offend people. People are going to offend one another. But he says this in verse 2, if It would be better for him that a millstone would be hanged about his neck, and he was cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. These men who fight for that there is no God and there is no eternity and it doesn't matter, he says there, it'd be better for them to tie a millstone around their neck and never to set anything, to throw themselves in the deepest part of the sea. You die when you do that. He says it'd be better for them because they're offending, they're getting in the way of people who are searching out, whose hearts tell us there must be a creator. We can look at the creation and we know there's a creator. We look at a painting, we know there's a painter. We look at you know, a building, we know there's a builder. We look at the creation, we know there's a creator. And they're there saying, no, there's not, no, there's not. And they're a fool for believing that. When it's obvious that it is there, it's written on us. We know, it's clear, it's written in the sky. What hope do they have to offer? None. What hope do these men what, maybe we'll evolve more? We've never seen evolution happen. You know, they're hoping for it. It's a dead, it's a dead science. It's dying quickly. Um, they're hoping for that. They're hoping, like a hopeful monster, that we're going to spring forth, we're going to be some better creature. It's not going to be there. They're hoping that we're going to learn better. One day we'll have the answers. I've watched many a science show that ends with that. One day we'll solve this mystery. One day we'll have the answer. We haven't so far. Since Solomon's day, and he had the best chance than anybody, no answers other than you need to repent and trust Christ. You know, we need to live in light of eternity. There's some answers in that. You know, one day we'll all be better. Will we? We haven't been. Uh, we, we haven't really added. We haven't done anything you know, in, in, in light of eternity. It's just empty promises. It doesn't help them. It doesn't help the world. There's no hope for now. And history shows that the chances are it's against them. They're not going to know anything better. It's going to, you know, we, what, what little knowledge we gain is not going to help them in light of eternity. They're going to be dead and they're going to have to pay for it. For all man knows... He can't stop death. We can't create life. We keep trying. I think that's fine. We, we should study these things, but we can't do it. We can't control the cells. We can't stop a cancer. You know, from that. We, we try. We put it in there, and we have some successes in some areas. You know, my wife works in that field. We do, but it's always changing. We just can't push a button, and we just can't say, well, here, we'll just deprogram it and switch it around. Or here, you'll grow a kidney, or you'll get an arm. We can't do it. But the answers are in eternity with God. Don't be a fool. We need to live with Solomon's conclusions. That learning is better. And learning is good than foolishness, than just fun. But we are to pursue it in light of eternity. And we're to pursue it in light with God in mind. To put God and eternity on the table as options. Um, Sherlock Holmes, fictional character, I know, but, but written by uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. But, but he has this truth that's quoted often. 
When you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. That's a good rule of science to go by. It's a good rule of deduction. If we're going to look at things, we're supposed to then take everything, use everything as an option. They have limited themselves to being under the sun. Eternity should be on the table. God should be on the table. It's the most obvious ones there. Uh, William Ockham, he came up with the phrase, it's called Ockham's Razor. And it is this, the simplest, the simplest answer is often the correct answer. And the simplest answer, we usually look at the, the big diversity of creation. We say, there must be a creator. And they fight long and hard saying, no, there's not. But Occam's razor, this rule of science that they're supposed to use, tells us that should be. We know that nothing creates itself. You know, we have devices in our pocket that are great. It took a lot of intelligence. A phone did not evolve by itself. It took a lot of time, effort, and energy to go from, you know, the computer that used to fill a room, you know, down to in your pocket in that way. That's a lot of intelligent design in there. And yet they don't want to see it, and they don't see it, and they limit themselves, and it is, it is confusing. Science won't do it. And because of that, it's doomed. Science is not the answer. Science will not be the conclusion for mankind. We need to study in light of the Creator. Francis Collins helped crack the DNA of the Human Genome Project, Christian, because he did it with Christianity in mind. Johann Kepler studied planetary motion. We have those laws that we work on that NASA works and use and, and do all that. Because he said, if I study the creation in light of the creator, I'll understand it, I'll unlock its meanings. And it did, and we are all beneficiaries of it because he did that as a Christian. Galileo, you know, developed a telescope. He, did, he studied astronomy. He studied all, all kinds of sciences from the viewpoint of a Christian saying that there's a creator who's designed these things in that way. And we are all beneficiaries of it. That works. And Leslie Meinter discovered nuclear fusion. We use that to power submarines. We use it to power all kinds of stuff. We use it to win a war. We use all this. And it came from a Christian person looking at that, studying the atom and how it was made and what we can do in that way. So Francis Bacon developed a scientific method that all the science that is out there trying to disprove God uses, but we're supposed to be able to observe it. We're supposed to be able to watch it. It's supposed to be repeatable everywhere. We don't see evolution. It's not a science. I mean, it's not. We can't see it. It's not observable. And it's not repeated anywhere. Where we can do it with creation everywhere. Isaac Newton he wrote more about the book of Revelation and, 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 the, and biblical things than he did about anything else. Now, he gives us uh, gravity. He talked about, he developed algebra and all kinds of different maths and things. Genius of a man. And he was more interested in what God's word had to say. When they came to ask him to, uh, to solve a math problem, he pulled out the papers that basically were, I think it was algebra, uh, that he'd pulled out and he'd given them. And it's like, nah, he'd already been done with that and moved on. It's like he was thinking about the weightier things of trying to interpret the book of Revelation in that way. And yet we have many of the benefits because of Isaac Newton. On and on and on. The greatest scientific... Um, things we have, a lot of it is because of a Christian was proving God's word, seeking to prove that God's word is right, looking to study and understand their creator in light of eternity, in light of God, we got answers. You take that away, you got nothing. You have desperate nothingness. No hope. Man, we have a hope in Christ. Most hope. You know, with life after death and repenting and Repenting and trusting in Christ. There's our hope for eternity. There's where we get to learn. There's where we get real answers. There's where we get to study. There's where our life has meaning and focus when we live in light of God, when we live in light of eternity, we live in light and trying to please Him. That's where the answers are found. The answers are found in His Son. 
that makes our life have purpose, that makes our life have meaning, that we should desire to live pleasing Him, searching for Him, studying things in light of Him, to study that same ant that you're walking on the way and saying how He is fearfully and wonderfully made, to study the bird in its flight, the, what, the sunset, the stars, the sun and the moon, all those things that point to the Creator and you come away worshiping Him. That's the good news. That's the good way it's supposed to be. There's hope, there's light, there, there's, there's purpose and there's meaning behind it. And it's not vexation and it's not emptiness and it's not depressing if you just leave it under the sun. So yes, God is the answer. God is the one who helps to pursue and drive this knowledge on. And he's what we should be pursuing. He's what gives uh, my job even in printing purpose. If I do it for him, it makes all the difference in the world. If I'm just there for a paycheck, I don't much like it. If I do it as a way to serve my king, you know, it makes the day go better. Knowing that I'm honoring him, pleasing him, and thinking. I think about, man, how many printers have printed God's word and delivered it in this way? And a book can be written like this, and they do that. You know, all these things. Gutenberg, the first thing you print, Bible, you know, that comes in that way. And so in all these different trades that we do it to, to use it and do it to his glory, it changes everything. It changes everything. So our lives can't have meaning and purpose if we do it in light of eternity. If we do it for the audience of one, if we do it to please the Lord, it's not vexation. It's not emptiness. It's not hollow. It's not sad and depressing that we leave just the work for someone else. It's something that continues on, that we'll study on forever and eternity if we know him. And so, yes, Christ changes it all, and Christ is the answer. And it makes this book not a depressing book, but a hopeful book to know that if you put Christ in the middle of all this, it gives you the answer, it gives you the purpose, and it changes a dark book into a light and a wonderful book that gives you excitement and anticipation to look forward to because we have eternity to study. We'll get real answers, and there's hope in that. And I'm glad that Solomon has pinned that down for us so that we can avoid all that and take wisdom, learn from what he studied, and apply it to our life. I appreciate you being here. Let's close in prayer.